Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 this morning. It's good to see you in the Lord's house. I appreciate you coming this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. I know we still have several people sick and out today, but I appreciate you guys coming. And I am thankful for the snow, but I'm also thankful that it's going to be gone, you know, tomorrow. So maybe later this week I can go out and golf. So that would be great. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, though, we're going to continue our series uh, on this study of meaninglessness, really, uh, really life under the sun, as Solomon is pointing out the past several chapters. Uh, in his search for satisfaction and search for significance, he can't find anything. He's, 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 see- he's seeking after everything, searching after everything, but everything he's seeking after, everything he's searching after is only leading to more despair, more frustration. And finally, as we hit on last week and really the week prior, it's as if he's turning a corner and finally understanding what life should be lived according to this, to God's purposes. So if you find your place in God's word, go ahead and stand if you would. We're going to read a few verses. We're going to focus on the first 10 verses this morning. And tonight I want to encourage you to be back for our class, for our combined class, because I'm actually going to, again, finish the message tonight. And tonight's message is, or tonight's lesson in the class is a great lesson. And here's, I'll go ahead and give the, uh, the title and the subject. It's when life seems unfair. Anybody ever feel like life seems unfair? Yes, like all the time. Uh, so that's kind of tonight when life seems unfair. I encourage you to be back tonight. We'll hit the rest of the chapter. But go ahead and follow along with me in your Bible, if you would, the first few verses. For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth, and to him that sacrificeth not. As it is good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. So basically what he's saying is there's one event that happens to everyone, no matter if you're good, you're bad, uh, you have a lot of talents, you don't have any talents. You know what that event that happens to everyone is? Death. Yes. Verse number three. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. The event he's talking about is death. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten, all their also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished, no more emotions. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And God, I pray that you be with us this morning as we hit on this very important subject, not necessarily the subject of death. It's really a subject that I'd rather fast forward through. But Lord, it's the reality that all of us will face death at one point in our lives, unless the Lord comes back for us. And God, I pray that you'd help us to realize the significance of this lesson, this message. It's something that Solomon hit on so many times throughout 
this book already, and really every time he hits on it on a different aspect of it, Lord. But I pray that you'd help us to learn the very important principles that we see in this chapter of Ecclesiastes. And Lord, I thank you for what it's meant to me. I thank you for the encouragement and the help. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we look at this challenging passage. Uh, although it's challenging, it's also very uplifting. It's very encouraging because Solomon gives us some very, very important principles later on in the chapter to help us understand the reality of life and where to place value. Lord, we love you. And we thank you again. Christ in my prayer. Amen. Let me ask a question. You ever had, or you ever ordered something and got exactly what you ordered? Has that ever happened to anyone? You're like, Pastor, that's kind of a silly question. Yes, I understand that. But don't you like it when you order something and get what you want versus ordering something and not getting what you wanted? Don't you? Yeah. It's always better when you order something and get what you expected. I guess the only time when it's not is if, you know, you know, you order like a cheeseburger and they give you a steak. I would probably definitely prefer the steak over the cheeseburger. The point I'm trying to make is that I think sometimes we think that how, that's how life should be. You know, we have a, a plan, we have a purpose, we have significance. We think life should go exactly how we plan it. But does life go exactly how we plan it? No, it doesn't. Sometimes you order the cheeseburger and you get not a steak, you get like Brussels sprouts or something like that. You get something far worse than what you expect, and that's what life does to us. And really, that's the subject that we're going to hit on yet again in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It really, it seems like Solomon hits on the subject of death countless times. Really, the first six chapters at one point in the message, or one point in the chapter, he hits on it. I think chapter 8, 9, chapter 12 as well. But this subject of death is something that confronts all of us. Death is an equal opportunity employer. It's the great equalizer of us all, rich and poor, young and old, talented, untalented, limited, prestigious, obscure. All of us face the same outcome. Someday we will die. And it's very easy to just fast forward this chapter. And I kind of thought about that this week. Maybe I should just fast forward this chapter and get to something else, something that's, you know, more joyful. But as I started studying and digging in, I realized that there is some joy within this chapter if we just listen. So don't tune me out this morning. Please listen for the next few minutes as we hit on some very important principles. And the first thing, I, I just want to jump right into it this morning, but the first thing that we see is this. Death is unavoidable, inescapable, and the ultimate variable in life. Death is unavoidable, inescapable, and the ultimate variable in life. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, understands the brevity and uncertainty of life and the certainty of death. Death is the predator that tracks us all down. And in the first six verses, it's almost it's kind of discouraging when you read them. But the first six verses really show us the reality. The reality that one day we will die, unless the Lord comes back. But one day, there is an appointment for us all. And that appointment is death. And it's, it's sad when you think about it, but from the moment you were born, you start to die. And you think about that, man, that's, that's not really encouraging. I don't, I don't want to come to a church that they're always talking about death. I don't either. But again, this subject is very important. You see, death seems to cancel out all that we do. It never seems to make sense, does it? At least to me. Uh, you, you think about it. Uh, there are people that are, that are fit as can be, that are in the prime of their life, and all of a sudden something happens, and they 
die. And then there's those people that, you know, they're in their 90s, they're in the nursing home, they've been, you know, chain smokers all their life, they're on oxygen, they're still smoking, and they're hacking through life. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. The point I'm trying to make is death doesn't make sense to us in our earthly perspective. And having an earthly perspective of death can really lead to the fact that, man, life is meaningless. Why should I even try? Why should I do anything? If, if this life is all there is, why should I do anything? Because all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna live and die and nothing's ever gonna be remembered. You know, if this cursed world were all there is, then death renders all of life's actions as meaningless. Basically, if there's nothing else after death, then why even try? Think about that. Why even try? Why even live? Why even go to your job? Why even work? Why even pay your taxes? Why drive the speed limit if this life is all there is? Now, the universality of death is one of the greatest evils in the world. And when you study your Bible back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we're not going to read that for sake of time today. But Genesis chapter 1 and 2, death was never part of the initial equation, was it? No, God had designed this world, this perfect world, for us to live for us to enjoy life. We were made in Genesis chapter one and two to live. But then Genesis three rolls around and we're confronted with the reality of dying. And what happened was sin came into this world and the curse of sin brought death upon all men, as the Bible says. And a couple quick things about understanding the truth about death and we'll, we'll go on, but this is very important for everyone to understand. First of all, death is the penalty of sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Yes. So the wage, the payment, if you have a job, you make wages, you make payment. Uh, you get money for, your, for the job that you do. So the wage of sin, because we sin in this life, we deserve to die. But God in his rich mercy, in his loving kindness, in his grace, gave us an opportunity to not die, but to have eternal life. So first of all, we see that death is the penalty of sin. Sin isn't taught. Does anyone have to teach their, their kid how to sin? Anyone? No, you don't have to teach your kid how to sin. You don't have to teach your kid at a young age to, to start kicking and screaming and acting out. Uh, if you do that, then you're probably weird. You know, if you're like, hey, I wanna teach you how to, you know, disobey your mom. Like, you're not gonna do that. I wanna teach you how to thrash around and get what you want. We don't teach that, right? Sin is inherited in our nature. We have to teach them how to tell the truth, how to obey, how to do what's right. But it's because of our sin that death is coming for us. Another truth about death in the scriptures is this. Death is the pathway to eternity. Psalm chapter 23, in verse four, it says, yea, though I walk through the what? The valley of the shadow of death. This is David's perspective. He says, death is coming. We're gonna walk through that valley, that shadow of death. But what does he say the next part of that verse? I will fear no evil. You see, a lot of times in a lot of people's lives, we fear the subject of death. But David tells us, Paul tells us, others tells us in scripture, we don't have to fear death. Why don't we have to fear death? Anybody? Thou art with me. Yes, God is with us. And as we see specifically in the New Testament, death, we don't have to fear death because death has already been defeated, right? 
It's been defeated by Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, 9. Uh, also, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, but the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. How did he gain the victory over death? By resurrecting, yes, exactly. So a couple truths about death's reality. It's the penalty of sin. Go back and show that last slide, if you don't mind. We have the de death is the penalty of sin. It's the pathway to eternity. But death has already been defeated by Jesus Christ. So for the Christian, if you're a child of God, there is no need to fear death because of what Jesus Christ has already done. And first and foremost, before we go any further in this message this morning, if you are not saved, today should be the day that you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because you don't have to fear what is to come. There is an afterlife. The Bible is very clear on that. We're gonna spend all of eternity in one of two places, either heaven or hell. And a lot of people think that if I just do good works, then I can get to heaven and I can achieve my status. There's no amount of good works that you can do to achieve significance and achieve status and achieve entrance into heaven. It's only by the grace of God, for by grace are you saved through faith, right? That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God lest any man should boast. But understanding the truth about death reveals to us something very important. You know what it reveals to us? How we should live. And a lot of times people are so afraid of dying that they don't truly live the life that God intended them to live. And I've seen that in my own life and I've seen that in many other people's lives. And I think because of the fear of death, a couple things happen. People use life as an escape. Well, I'm just trying to escape the reality that I'm gonna die, so I'm gonna do whatever I want, live however I want. Solomon was testimony to that fact. Early on in his life, he lived for whatever he wanted to do. But I think some people also just try to simply endure life. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to just escape life. You don't have to just try to endure life. God wants us to enjoy this life that he has given us. And that's what Solomon is really getting at in this chapter. Look as, as we continue on, verse number four. He says, for him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. It's like the old saying, as long as there is life, there is what? There's hope. As long as you're living, there is hope. He continues on, verse number four. There's a reason for all of this, but stay with me. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. You know what this verse says? Dogs are better than cats. We got it. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Seeing if you guys are awake today. Uh, I said that because there was a preacher that I knew. He's, he was still a preacher, but he was evangelist at the time. And it seemed like every message, he, he couldn't stand cats. Like he hated cats. He despised cats. So every message, he used it as an opportunity to just, you know, bash cats and have jokes about cats. And I think he said the best cat is a dead cat. That was his, you know, analogy with life. And and, you know, for the animal activists and those that were cat lovers in the audience, they just love those messages. They love those jokes. Uh, but that's not what Solomon is saying here. He's not saying that dogs are better than cats. We're not going to get into that debate this morning. You can debate that afterwards outside if you want. But here's what Solomon is saying. In the ancient world, dogs weren't as enjoyable as they are today. They weren't necessarily pets. How many have a pet dog? A lot of us in here. How many have a pet cat? All right, we got a couple of like, I'm not going to raise my hand. I'm, I'm afraid. That was Christina. She's like, eh, maybe, kind of, I don't know. Um, in the ancient world, a lot of people didn't have pets as dogs. 
They were scoundrels. They were scavengers. And the point that Solomon is making here in the animal world, who is the king of the jungle? The lion. The lion is noble and majestic and, and royal. But the point he's making is, you know, it doesn't matter how majestic, how noble you are if you're dead. <laughs> so it's better to be a scoundrel and still alive than a noble person, a righteous person and dead. That's really the point he's trying to make. I like what Tim Keller says on this subject. He says, even a disgusting scoundrel of a person is better off than a noble person who is dead. Because as Solomon continues in the next couple of verses, the dead have no memory, no reward, no more emotions. And if life under the sun is all there is, then death wipes away everything. And the problem with this is the fact that instead of reckoning with death, listen to me, we often waste the little time we have on this earth with frivolity, frivolous distractions. We often waste this life by living for ourselves, doing what we want to do, living how we want to live instead of the living, living the life that God has called us to live. You see, when you look at life, you have to realize that we have some things stacked against us. One of those things is death. And since death is unavoidable, I want you to listen to what Solomon is saying. It should cause us to contemplate our life. It goes back to some of the earlier chapters where he says, the day of mourning is better than the day of feasting. Why is that? Because in the day of feasting, the day of laughter, it's not necessarily a deep theological conversation that you're gonna have. You're gonna go away, you're gonna be happy, you're gonna be joyful, but you're not gonna contemplate things. When you go and stand before a casket, you start contemplating your life, don't you? I don't have much time. And we've all stood before a casket, most of us in here, or we've all had someone close to us die. And that's what Solomon is saying, death is real. Some people are like, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it with my kids. Well, if you don't talk about it, what are they going to do when they face it? We have to understand that there is something called death that's going to happen to us all. But in death, it teaches us how to live and stay with me here. You see, too often we say things like, live like it were your last day. <laughs> or live every day as if it were your last. Now, that's not necessarily bad, but it's not a healthy way to look at things. Here's what I mean. If I were to find out today that tomorrow is my last day because I have some incurable disease, you know, meningitis 4.0 or something. If I had some incurable disease and tomorrow is my last day, then, you know, there's a good chance I'm gonna try to do as much as I can for God. I really am. Enjoy the time with my family. But there's some things that I'm just not going to do. Here's what I mean. If I have any bills, I am not gonna pay my bills. I mean, anybody with me? Exactly. You know, if there's speed limits, I'm not going to follow the speed limit. Why should I follow the speed limit? Because if tomorrow's my end, what's the point? I'm going to live and enjoy it and just have fun. So you see what I'm saying? It's not a healthy way to look at, well, live as if every day is your last day. If every day is my last day, then I'm just going to be foolish, honestly. And I think most of us in here would be. I think how we need to look at it is live understanding that there is a limited number of days. That there is a certain number of days that we have, and there is a purpose behind this life. It's more about realizing we have a set amount of days, and we need to make them count. And as Solomon continues his thoughts on death, he gives us some of the most profound advice that he's given us. And it really, the advice that he's given us in the next couple of verses have kind of been taken out of context in the world, but I want you to follow along. Look at verse number seven. 
Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink the wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. In the next couple of verses, here's what he's showing us. He, he's already showed us in the first six verses that death is unavoidable, inescapable, it's the ultimate variable of life. But then he transitions and he says this, place value on the simple things of life. Place value on the simple things of life. Now, in these next four verses, he shows us some simple things, but in what are some of the simple things of life? Anybody want to share anything today? What are some simple things of life? Taxes, right? <laughs> Company of others, okay, very good. What, what else? What are some simple things of life? Watching your children play, very good. What else? Not all at once, it's okay. Anything else? Sunshine, sunshine. sunrise, sunset, yeah. Anyone, anyone else? Snow day, hey, hey. And then when the snow's gone, right? That's part of the simple things of life as well. Uh, I was looking online, you know, as, as every good person does, and uh, try to find some simple pleasures in life. And this one author, blogger, this is what she says. She says, here's some of the simple things of life. Climbing into bed with freshly washed sheets. Oh, yeah. Can I get an amen for that? Yeah. It's not theological or anything like that, but I get more amens for stuff like that than actually Bible. My goodness, people. Anyway, another thing she says is re receiving snail mail that isn't a bill. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, you can say yes, amen, whatever. It's fine. Uh, driving with your windows down. Uh, I was picking up Nate the other day, and he's like, Dad, why do dogs stick your head out the window? I was like, I don't know. Why don't you try it? So <laughs> he did. He enjoyed it. So. Just don't tell my wife I did that. All right, another thing. Oh, this is a good one. Popping bubble wrap, right? I meant to have some today, but Nate popped it all when we got it earlier last week. Uh, running through a sprinkler. We should have a sprinkler out there after church today. You all can run through it. No, not today. Maybe in the summer. That'd be a great, never mind. Um, this is for a couple people in here today, not for others. The feeling after a great workout, right? Right, Mike? Amen. He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, <laughs> another thing, enjoying a home-cooked meal around the table with your family. As long as the person can cook, I guess we should put that in there. Uh, this is a good one. Watching squirrels or birds chase each other. <laughs> it's a simple thing of life. A stunning sunset. Uh, blowing bubbles with little kids. Uh, this is a good one. Doing a cannonball into a pool. That's a simple thing of life. Some people shouldn't do that because you would hurt something or break something. Oh, this is a good one. Hot towels right after they get out of the dryer, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, a couple more. Making the yellow light at the intersection. <laughs> That's one of the simple things of life, isn't it? Uh, some of us just try to live for that. Um, a sunny day, having a good laugh. Uh, the smell of freshly cut grass, you know, for some people. You know, there are a lot of simple things of life, and and the, the blogger is basically saying that there's a lot of things that we can just enjoy. And really, this next couple of verses, just stay with me. Not going to be too much longer, but this is very important. Solomon is telling us to learn to place value on simple things in life. Because he wants us to understand, as he's already talked about earlier in this chapter, in chapter 8, chapter 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, all the other chapters, that death is imminent. It's inescapable. It's unavoidable. It's an ultimate variable of life. So, what are we doing on this life? What are we doing with this life that we have? 
And really, it's like his, his tone changes in these verses because it's almost, it goes against what he's already taught and how he's already lived. But look at verse number seven, the first three words. It says, go thy way. This is very important. You see, Solomon is trying to teach us that death teaches us how to enjoy life. But here's, here's the key principle here. Solomon is challenging us to choose the way that God has designed for you personally. He's calling us to heed his own advice that he gave in Proverbs 3, 6, where it says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. His ad admonition of go thy way means this. Listen, listen to me. Don't sit around and brood. You ever just sit around and just brood because you're mad about life? You're mad about what's happened? Here's what he's saying. Don't sit around and brood. Get up and live. <laughs> it's pretty profound, isn't it? Don't sit around and just be all upset, man. Life stinks. Now, it's, it's easy to think that way, especially after circumstances happen and tragedy strikes. And, you know, as I said a couple weeks ago, those gray days, those gloomy days, it just kind of messes with our, our minds and psyche sometimes. But the point Solomon is saying is, go thy way. Don't sit around and just brood and feel sorry for yourself. It's easy to do that, isn't it? We all do that. Uh, we can have a mic and pass it around here later and talk about all the times this week that we brooded life, right? We're not gonna do that. But he's saying, don't sit around and brood. Get up and live. Yes, death is coming. And it happens whether you like it or not, but God gives us some very good and enjoyable gifts. So learn to place value in those gifts. And he lists some things that are coming from a man who had it all, did it all. And these principles, they're not necessarily deep, but they're very life-changing if we allow them to change our lives. They're challenging, yet they're encouraging. Here's the first thing he says, verse number seven. Let's read the rest of the verse. Go thy way. Eat the bread with joy and drink the wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. First thing he says is this. Enjoy your meals. <laughs> I should definitely get an amen for that, right? Some of us like to enjoy meals. Amen, there it is. Very good, we got one honest person in the back. Enjoy your meals. Look, God gives us food to enjoy. Now, some people go to the extreme and enjoy it way too much and hurt themselves. But the point Solomon is making is place value on the simple things of life. God gives us food that is delicious. He's not instructing us to be a glutton or anything like that. But the idea is simple. Enjoy each meal that God gives you to eat. But how often do we take advantage of the meals? We do. We take advantage of the food, especially in America, because we have so much. But the point is, place value on simple things like a meal. Thank God for the meal that he's given you, for the food that he's given you. Enjoy that. He continues on, verse number eight. Again, these are very simple, but they're very helpful. Let thy garments be always what? White. Now you know why I wore white today. Because I'm trying to listen to Solomon's advice here. He says, always wear white. He obviously didn't know the rules about after Labor Day and this and that. Let thy garments always be white and let thy head lack no ointment. What he's talking about is, you know, anointing your head with oil. So I even did that this morning. I put essential oils on. I'm covered. I've got white on. I got essential oils. I'm taken care of. I don't know why you're laughing. I did that kind of jokingly, but that's not what Solomon is saying here. 
Here's what he's saying here in this passage. Enjoy every occasion. Enjoy every occasion. In this culture, a lot of times they wore white clothing because, anybody know why? It was very hot. White clothing is usually a little bit cooler, or light type clothing is cooler than dark, heavy clothing, especially when you're in the Middle Eastern sun and the Middle Eastern heat. So a lot of times during those times, they wore lighter clothing or white type styles of clothing, or on special occasions, we do the same thing. You ever dress up for special occasions? When you go somewhere, you, you, know, you take your spouse on a date or take someone on a date, you, you, you dress up usually. Now, some people just don't dress up at all. That's whatever, neither here nor there. But special occasions, you dress up. Here's what he's saying. It's not so much of what you're supposed to wear, but the occasions of life, enjoy them. Now, it's easy for me to enjoy like a birthday party, <laughs> some kind of big celebration, right? It's easy for you to enjoy a big celebration, isn't it? But how often do we enjoy just the mundane day-to-day? Sometimes we don't. We take advantage of it. We take it for granted. And that's what Solomon is really teaching us here. You know, Solomon's congregation didn't take his words literally like I did today. But they knew what he was saying. Make every occasion a special occasion, even if it's ordinary or routine. The point is, and we see this in the New Testament, don't just express thanksgiving and joy when you're celebrating special events. It seems like that's an easy thing to do, right? You know what the Bible says in Philippians 4, 4? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Give thanks to God. Rejoice in God all the time. Good times, bad times, in between times. Are you saying we should just dress up all the time? That's not what I'm saying, but man, some people, you know, you look at them, they're just brooding life and they never get dressed. They can't enjoy anything. Solomon said, man, your life is too short. Live life, enjoy life that God has given you. Enjoy the occasions. Look, an unspoiled child delights in simple activities of life, don't they? But a spoiled child needs to have a lot of stuff given to them, right? They need to go a lot of places, and maybe there's some spoiled children in here and unspoiled children, but you understand that. A spoiled child, they have to be, you know, go somewhere all the time and be given things, but an unspoiled child, they learn to just enjoy life and the simplicity of it. And that's what he's teaching us. Enjoy each and every occasion. It's not by searching for special things that we find joy, but listen, It's making everyday things special. But how often do we not make everyday things special? How often do we only celebrate with our family on celebratory events? Well, it's a birthday, so I guess I gotta stop working and enjoy some time with my family. Well, I guess it's snowing, so since I can't go out to work, I will enjoy it. What about just day to day? Are we enjoying every occasion that God has given us? That's the point Solomon is making. Again, it's, it's simple, but it's, It's profound, it's deep, it's life-changing, it really is. So the first thing he says that we're supposed to enjoy, enjoy your meals, enjoy your food, enjoy every occasion. Third thing, verse number nine, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life, of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for this is the portion in life, and this is the labor which thou takest under the sun. Now, 
This seems to completely contradict Solomon's lifestyle. Solomon, again, had, what, like a 1,000 women, at least in his life. But here's what he's saying. You know that, that wife that God gave you, that husband that God gave you? Enjoy them. Love them. Cherish them. And, and you think about it. I'm getting serious a little bit today, but it'd be like a huge Hollywood celebrity, some well-known guy that's you know been with countless women, and he's basically saying, hey, the secret to love is staying with one woman for the rest of your life. You'd be like, wait, what? That doesn't make sense according to how you live. And that's really, it doesn't make sense according to how Solomon has lived, but he's saying, all of that, it's been meaningless. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your marriage. And let's be honest for a minute. Those that have been married or any relationship, it takes work, doesn't it? It takes a lot of work. You know, before Amanda and I first got married, we had some friends that were like, oh man, marriage is awesome. Got married and like, man, you're a bunch of liars. <laughs> right? Exactly. I don't know what they were on, but man, it wasn't that enjoyable the first, I mean, it was, don't, don't get me wrong, it was enjoyable, but like they, they led us to believe like, you're never gonna have any problems, you're never gonna have any heartache, or, you know, we never fight. And all of a sudden, we're fighting all the time. I'm like, what is wrong with us? We're not normal. And that's what I kept telling Amanda. You are not normal. <laughs> She's like, no, I am normal. But she is. But the, the thing is, <laughs> it takes work. And I think I went into it sometimes or almost foolishly like, oh, it's all right. I got it. I, I, got, I got this thing called marriage. You know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's no, it's no big deal at all. But... It is a big deal. <laughs> Any relationship is a big deal. And you have to work to make it good. You know, as couples, you make a vow, right? In sickness and in health, good times and bad times, you're gonna stay together. That means it's gonna be difficult. But the Bible literally says in this verse that we should live life joyfully with our spouse. Life is an adventure. It's exciting. It's never gonna be dull with two people. There's a lot of heartaches when two people are together, but there are a lot of joys, aren't there? There are a lot of things that you get to do and enjoy and share. So find satisfaction in that. You know, there are a few things in life that are beautiful and right and deep that do not cost. But you think about it. Even a view of the mountains costs you driving to the mountains, right? Even a view of the beach and sitting on the beach costs you having to get there. So no matter what it is in life, you still have to get there. You still have to do some work. I was thinking about this this week. You know what a good definition of marriage is? It's my own definition. Marriage is a collision waiting to happen. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> it's my own little Chris Thorne, you know, whatever. You publish that and all that kind of stuff, but... Marriage is a collision waiting to happen. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says when you get married, two are supposed to become what? <sighs> How can two become one unless they don't collide, right? You think about that with marriage. It's a collision waiting to happen. It's giving up my preferences, 
for my wife. It's her giving up her preferences for me. And the point Solomon is making is, it's gonna take some work. I did the easy thing. I just, you know what? I like this girl, so I'm gonna be with her. I don't like her, I'm not gonna be with her. He just, whatever he wanted to chase after, he chased after. But he came to the end of his life, and he's like, that was foolish. I should have stuck it out. I should have realized that God gave me this person to live joyfully with, to love, to realize, as it says at the end of the verse, and in thy labor, in thy work, which thou takest of the son, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort. Marriage isn't easy, but I want you to understand this, and I could go deeper into this, but I'm not for sake of time. But marriage is a gift from God. So enjoy it. But so often, we don't enjoy each other's company, do we? We can't stand each other. At least I've seen that with some couples. Like, why are you married at all? Enjoy that. That is, that is a simple pleasure of life because there are a lot of pleasures that come with marriage. And the thing is, enjoy it. It's a gift from God. But here's the last thing that he says. Verse number 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Here's the last thing he says. Enjoy your work. You're like, well, you don't know my work. I don't. But the work that you do on this earth, it shouldn't just be a burden. And it's not also just to get more money. Notice he didn't say some of the things you're supposed to enjoy is more money. But yet don't we use our work to chase after more money, to chase after more things, to chase after more stuff? Because I, I, I don't have enough. I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. It's not gonna satisfy. The point he's making, whatsoever thy hand finds to do, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with all thy might. Give your best. Can we truly say though, We've given our best in all things. I'm not talking about the job specifically that you're working now. Can we truly all say that I have given my best in every area of life? Let's talk about Christianity for a minute. Can we truly say I have given my best in my Christian life? That's part of this. Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with all thy might. You know, I, I don't think there's any Christian that plans to live a mediocre life, Right? We all want to live a, a great life, but I have met a lot of mediocre Christians. And you probably have too. There might be some in this room. Because some, they, they give their all to maybe a job that's actually benefiting them and getting some money, but they don't give it all to, to the Lord. That's messed up. What's over the hand finds to do? Whatever God gives you, whatever job you have in front of you, give it your all. I don't really like that job, so I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> like I, I've met people like that. If you give them a job and they don't like to do it, you know what? They're not gonna really do it well. And you've probably been there, right? I don't really like this job. It's not what I'm passionate about. It's not what I'm good at, so I'm not gonna give my best, right? That's good, right? That's good work ethic. No, it's not. It doesn't matter what the job is, especially as a Christian, as a child of God, as a servant, we should give our best in anything, in any area, even if it's an area that you don't like, especially in, in the church realm and Christianity, because how is the world going to be impacted if we're not willing to humble ourselves and serve and do things that we don't like to do? I mean, there's things that I have to do as a pastor that I don't necessarily like to do, and I found that when I give it my all, it's so much better, it's so much more 
joy, or I enjoy it more than when I don't. When I just kind of like, I don't really like this, but I'm going to do it because I have to because I'm a pastor. Or I don't really like this because, uh, I, but I have to do it because I'm a dad and I'm, I'm a husband. It, it doesn't work as well if I actually enjoy it and give my all, whether I like it or not. I don't necessarily like doing chores around the house. But the times that I actually try to give my all, like, wow, it was actually enjoyable. Because I did what God called me to do. And that's what he's saying here. Do your very best and do it while you have the strength because there's kind of gonna come a day when you don't have the strength to give it your all. Find a job, find a hobby, find activities to do with your family. Do life together and do life with all that you can because death is near. And I've talked about this through the series. I am planning for tomorrow. I've got things in place, but I'm also trying to enjoy life now. And that's one of the main things that Solomon is trying to get across. Okay, you can plan and plan and plan for tomorrow, but tomorrow's not promised. So enjoy the simple things of life right now. Place value on them. You know, the theme for this year is impact. But if you want to make an impact, then you have to face the reality that death is inescapable. But once you face the reality of death, allow it to point out and show you how to live your life. That God has given me a life, and I only have one life. It's like the old saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's what's most important, church. You can work and work and work and do whatever you want to do, but it's really meaningless. Or you can work and work and work and do what God has called you to do and enjoy life much more. Really, the choice is up to you. And listen, I'm almost done. But learning to live a meaningful life is about being intentional about what is valuable. Again, we go back to the plates, right? The glass plate versus the plastic plate. Whatever you do in life, be intentional about it. What is most valuable in my life? Intentionality is a key to living the life that God has intended his children to live. But so often we're carrying baggage that we should never have to carry. You know what baggage does? It weighs us down. There are certain baggage that we have to carry, but how often are we carrying things that we were never meant to carry? And much of our baggage, our excess baggage is good things, but not the best thing. They're things that we enjoy, but they're things that are expendable. What are some of those expendable things in your life? You don't have to shout it out, but what are some of those expendable things in your life that you're pushing too much time into instead of the most valuable things? Instead of the things that really, really matter. Look, we have to learn, church, to be intentional. We have to be willing to cast off the excess baggage that weighs us down. It's not just about living life to the fullest. It's not, well, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. In some ways, that's what Solomon is saying, but that's not fully what he's saying here. He's saying, yes, death is going to happen, but enjoy the life that God has given you to do and live life with a purpose. And when you understand the reality of death, it clarifies your purpose that God has given you for life. But I'm here to tell you, you can't have a clear purpose for life if first and foremost, you're not saved. 
If you've never asked Jesus to save you, if you've never asked Jesus to come in your heart and ask you to forgive you of your sins, you can't have a clear purpose in your life. And you can try to do some of these things, but you're still not gonna fully enjoy life. The life that God has given you. Look, God wants us to enjoy life. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that tonight. God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to find pleasure in life. In John chapter 10, he talks about, he wants us to find the abundant life, a life of joy and satisfaction. But if you're not saved, it is impossible to live an abundant, full, meaningful life. And here's the core truth of this whole message this morning. The reality of death should not discourage living. The awareness of death should increase our value and appreciation of each day that we have left. Learning to live a meaningful life is about being intentional to what is valuable. Death is gonna happen. That's the reality. Don't let it discourage your living. Well, life stinks. Everyone dies. Yes, everyone dies, but there's something greater waiting for you. And that's what's most important. But there's something worse waiting for you if you don't know Christ as your Savior. But if you do, and if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God today, don't brood through life. Why are you wasting the days that you have, really? Why do I waste away the days that I have? And I'm not saying you shouldn't mourn someone if they die. You should. But have you ever met someone that just seems to be mourning a lot longer than they should be mourning? Yeah? I'm not saying there's a specific timetable. But in the Jewish culture, they had a certain amount of time that they mourned. After that, took off the sackcloth, took off the ashes, gone on with their life. Not saying we have to go back to that, but I think they had it figured out that, you know what, there's a certain amount of time that I need to mourn. And then after that, it's not that I can't be sorrowful and sad anymore. It's not, it's not about that, but life goes on, whether you like it or not, doesn't it? Life happens. And I've met people along stages of my life and that it seemed like they were just brooding through every day. They were just mourning every day, something that happened 5, 10, 15 years ago. My goodness, you're missing out. You push people away because, oh, I'm just feeling sorry for myself today. Who cares about whether the sun's out or the sun's not out? God has given us a purpose for this life. And he wants us to enjoy the simple things, so learn to place value in the simple things. When you learn to place value in the simple things, you'll learn to live a meaningful life. The life that God has intended. So the reality of death shouldn't discourage living. The awareness of death should increase our value and appreciation each day. Living a meaningful life is about being intentional to what is valuable.